section thirty nine of norway sweden denmark iceland greenland and the search for the poles this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume eight norway sweden denmark iceland greenland and the search for the poles edited by eva march tappan section thirty nine gustavus adolphus at lutzen sixteen thirty two by johann christoph friedrich von schiller during the thirty years war in germany the protestants had long hoped that gustavus adolphus king of sweden would become their leader but he felt that he must first care for the needs of his country at length however the time came when he saw that his own land was in danger then he led his army into germany and there he was joined by the allied forces of the protestant princes at lutzen he met the troops of the austrian emperor under wallenstein on the outcome of this battle depended the fate of protestant germany the editor at last the fateful morning dawned but an impenetrable fog which spread over the plain delayed the attack till noon kneeling in front of his lines the king offered up his devotions and the whole army at the same moment dropping on their knees burst into a moving hymn accompanied by the military music the king then mounted his horse and clad only in a leathern doublet and surtout for a wound he had formerly received prevented his wearing armour rode along the ranks to animate the courage of his troops with a joyful confidence which however the foreboding presentiment of his own bosom contradicted god with us was the war-cry of the swedes jesu maria that of the imperialists about eleven the fog began to disperse and the enemy became visible at the same moment lutzen was seen in flames having been set on fire by command of the duke to prevent his being outflanked on that side the charge was now sounded the cavalry rushed upon the enemy and the infantry advanced against the trenches received by a tremendous fire of musketry and heavy artillery these intrepid battalions maintained the attack with undaunted courage till the enemy's musketeers abandoned their posts the trenches were passed the battery carried and turned against the enemy they pressed forward with irresistible impetuosity the first of the five imperial brigades was immediately routed the second soon after and the third put to flight but here the genius of wallenstein opposed itself to their progress with the rapidity of lightning he was on the spot to rally his discomfited troops and his powerful word was itself sufficient to stop the flight of the fugitives supported by three regiments of cavalry the vanquished brigades forming anew faced the enemy and pressed vigorously into the broken ranks of the swedes a murderous conflict ensued the nearness of the enemy left no room for firearms the fury of the attack no time for loading man was matched to man the useless musket exchanged for the sword and pike and science gave way to desperation overpowered by numbers the weary swedes at last retired beyond the trenches and the captured battery is again lost by the retreat a thousand mangled bodies already strewed the plain and as yet not a single step of ground had been won in the meantime the king's 
right wing led by himself had fallen upon the enemy's left the first impetuous shock of the heavy finland cuirassiers dispersed the lightly mounted poles and croats who were posted here and their disorderly flight spread terror and confusion among the rest of the cavalry at this moment notice was brought the king that his infantry were retreating over the trenches and also that his left wing exposed to a severe fire from the enemy's cannon posted at the windmills was beginning to give way with rapid decision he committed to general horn the pursuit of the enemy's left while he flew at the head of the regiment of steinbach to repair the disorder of his right wing his noble charger bore him with the velocity of lightning across the trenches but the squadrons that followed could not come on with the same speed and only a few horsemen among whom was francis albert duke of saxe lauenburg were able to keep up with the king he rode directly to the place where his infantry were most closely pressed and while he was reconnoitring the enemy's line for an exposed point of attack the shortness of his sight unfortunately led him too close to their ranks an imperial gayfreiter corporal remarking that every one respectfully made way for him as he rode along immediately ordered a musketeer to take aim at him fire at him yonder said he that must be a man of consequence the soldier fired and the king's left arm was shattered at that moment his squadron came hurrying up and a confused cry of the king bleeds the king is shot spread terror and consternation through all the ranks it is nothing follow me cried the king collecting his whole strength but overcome by pain and nearly fainting he requested the duke of Laurenburg in french to lead him unobserved out of the tumult while the duke proceeded toward the right wing with the king making a long circuit to keep this discouraging sight from the disordered infantry his majesty received a second shot through the back which deprived him of his remaining strength brother said he with a dying voice i have enough look only to your own life at the same moment he fell from his horse pierced by several more shots and abandoned by all his attendants he breathed his last amid the plundering hands of the croats his charger flying without its rider and covered with blood soon made known to the swedish cavalry the fall of their king they rushed madly forward to rescue his sacred remains from the hands of the enemy a murderous conflict ensued over the body till his mangled remains were buried beneath a heap of slain the mournful tidings soon ran through the swedish army but instead of destroying the courage of those brave troops it but excited it into a new a wild a consuming flame life had lessened in value now that the most sacred life of all was gone death had no terrors for the lowly since the anointed head was not spared with the fury of lions the upland smaland finland east and west gothland regiments rushed a second time upon the left wing of the enemy which already making but feeble resistance to general horn was now entirely beaten from the field bernard duke of saxe weimar gave to the bereaved swedes a noble leader in his own person and the spirit of gustavus led his victorious squadrons anew the left wing quickly formed again and vigorously pressed the right of the imperialists the artillery at the windmills which had maintained so murderous a fire upon the swedes was captured and turned against the enemy the centre also of the swedish infantry commanded by the duke and 
Knipphausen advanced a second time against the trenches which they successfully passed and retook the battery of seven cannons the attack was now renewed with redoubled fury upon the heavy battalions of the enemy's centre their resistance became gradually less and chance conspired with swedish valour to complete the defeat the imperial powder wagons took fire and with a tremendous explosion grenades and bombs filled the air the enemy now in confusion thought they were attacked in the rear while the swedish brigades pressed them in front their courage began to fail them their left wing was already beaten their right wavering and their artillery in the enemy's hands the battle seemed to be almost decided another moment would decide the fate of the day when pappenheim appeared on the field with his cuirassiers and dragoons all the advantages already gained were lost and the battle was to be fought anew the order which recalled that general to lutzen had reached him in halle while his troops were still plundering the town it was impossible to collect the scattered infantry with that rapidity which the urgency of the order and pappenheim's impatience required without waiting for it therefore he ordered eight regiments of cavalry to mount and at their head he galloped at full speed for lutzen to share in the battle he arrived in time to witness the flight of the imperial right wing which gustavus horn was driving from the field and to be at first involved in their rout but with rapid presence of mind he rallied the flying troops and led them once more against the enemy carried away by his wild bravery and impatient to encounter the king who he supposed was at the head of this wing he burst furiously upon the swedish ranks which exhausted by victory and inferior in numbers were after a noble resistance overpowered by this fresh body of enemies pappenheim's unexpected appearance revived the drooping courage of the imperialists and the duke of friedland quickly availed himself of the favourable moment to reform his line the closely serried battalions of the swedes were after a tremendous conflict again driven across the trenches and the battery which had been twice lost again rescued from their hands the whole yellow regiment the finest of all that distinguished themselves in this dreadful day lay dead on the field covering the ground almost in the same excellent order which when alive they maintained with such unyielding courage the same fate befell another regiment of blues which count piccolomini attacked with the imperial cavalry and cut down after a desperate contest seven times did this intrepid general renew the attack seven horses were shot under him and he himself was pierced with six musket balls yet he would not leave the field until he was carried along in the general rout of the whole army wallenstein himself was seen riding through his ranks with cool intrepidity amidst a shower of balls assisting the distressed encouraging the valiant with praise and the wavering by his fearful glance around and close by him his men were falling thick and his own mantle was perforated by several shots but avenging destiny this day protected that breast for which another weapon was reserved on the same field where the noble gustavus expired wallenstein was not allowed to terminate his guilty career less fortunate was pappenheim the telemann of the army the bravest soldier of austria and the church an ardent desire to encounter the king in person carried this daring leader into the thickest of the fight where he thought his noble opponent was most surely to be met gustavus had also expressed a wish to meet his brave antagonist 
but these hostile wishes remained ungratified death first brought together these two great heroes two musket balls pierced the breast of poppenheim and his men forcibly carried him from the field while they were conveying him to the rear a murmur reached him that he whom he had sought lay dead upon the plain when the truth of the report was confirmed to him his look became brighter his dying eye sparkled with a last gleam of joy till the duke of friedland said he that i lie without hope of life but that i die happy since i know that the implacable enemy of my religion has fallen on the same day with poppenheim the good fortune of the imperialists departed the cavalry of the left wing already beaten and only rallied by his exertions no sooner missed their victorious leader than they gave up everything for lost and abandoned the field of battle in spiritless despair the right wing fell into the same confusion with the exception of a few regiments which the bravery of their colonels gotts Tzertzi, colorado and piccolomini compelled to keep their ground the swedish infantry with prompt determination profited by the enemy's confusion to fill up the gaps which death had made in the front line they formed both lines into one and with it made the final and decisive charge a third time they crossed the trenches and a third time they captured the battery the sun was setting when the two lines closed the strife grew hotter as it drew to an end the last efforts of strength were mutually exerted and skill and courage did their utmost to repair in these precious moments the fortune of the day it was in vain despair endows every one with superhuman strength no one can conquer no one will give way the art of war seemed to exhaust its powers on one side only to unfold some new and untried masterpiece of skill on the other night and darkness at last put an end to the fight before the fury of the combatants was exhausted and the contest only ceased when no one could any longer find an antagonist both armies separated as if by tacit agreement the trumpets sounded and each party claiming the victory quitted the field the artillery on both sides as the horses could not be found remained all night upon the field at once the reward and the evidence of victory to him who should hold it wallenstein in his haste to leave leipzig and saxony forgot to remove his part not long after the battle was ended poppenheim's infantry who had been unable to follow the rapid movements of their general and who amounted to six regiments marched on the field but the work was done a few hours earlier so considerable a reinforcement would perhaps have decided the day in favour of the imperialists and even now by remaining on the field they might have saved the duke's artillery and made a prize of that of the swedes but they had received no orders to act and uncertain as to the issue of the battle they retired to leipzig where they hoped to join the main body the duke of friedland had retreated thither and was followed on the morrow by the scattered remains of his army without artillery without colours and almost without arms the duke of weimar it appears after the toils of this bloody day allowed the swedish army some repose between lutzen and weissenfels near enough to the field of battle to oppose any attempt the enemy might make to recover it of the two armies more than nine thousand men lay dead a still greater number were wounded and among the imperialists scarcely a man escaped from the field uninjured the entire plain from lutzen to the canal was strewed with the wounded the dying and the dead 
many of the principal nobility had fallen on both sides even the abbot of fulda who had mingled in the combat as a spectator paid for his curiosity and his ill-timed zeal with his life history says nothing of prisoners a further proof of the animosity of the combatants who neither gave nor took quarter but it was a dear conquest a dearer triumph it was not till the fury of the conquest was over that the full weight of the loss sustained was felt and the shout of triumph died away into a silent gloomy despair he who had led them to the charge returned not with them there he lies upon the field which he had won mingled with the dead bodies of the common crowd after a long and almost fruitless search the corpse of the king was discovered not far from the great stone which for a hundred years before had stood between lutzen and the canal and which from the memorable disaster of that day still bears the name of the stone of the swedes covered with blood and wounds so as scarcely to be recognized trampled beneath the horses hoofs stripped by the rude hands of plunderers of its ornaments and clothes his body was drawn from beneath a heap of dead conveyed to weissenfels and there delivered up to the lamentations of his soldiers and the last embraces of his queen the first tribute had been paid to revenge and blood had atoned for the blood of the monarch but now affection assumed its rights and tears of grief must flow for the man the universal sorrow absorbs all individual woes the general still stupefied by the unexpected blow stood speechless and motionless around his bier and no one trusted himself enough to contemplate the full extent of their loss end of section thirty nine this recording is in the public domain